Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Susan Kredsbach. Dr. Kredsbach, affectionately known as Dr. Susan, has always had a passion for animals, but her initial career path did not lead her to veterinary medicine. After graduation from the University of Wisconsin in 1983 with a Bachelor of Science in Industrial Engineering, she started out as a systems engineer for the IBM Corporation. Dr. Susan decided to turn in her briefcase for books and started veterinary school at The Ohio State University in 1991. She felt that this would provide a perfect opportunity to capture her passion for animals and encompass her business background. Because Dr. Susan feels that there is such a tremendous need to address the issue of animal behavior problems and how to prevent them, she opened a veterinary animal behavior consulting service, Creature Counseling, in October of 2000. Dr. Susan has been a champion for all animals, especially in the area of the ethical use of animals in education. She's been a veterinary advisor for the Humane Society Veterinary Medical Association since its inception in 2008, a professional veterinary organization dedicated to providing progressive animal welfare leadership for all animals and direct care opportunities for animals in need. In addition to a private practice and advisory role with the HSVMA, Dr. Susan is a veterinary consultant for Maddie's Fund, and she is also the founder and past president of the Dane County Friends of Feral. She has also volunteered her services to several animal rescue organizations, and the list is so long, I can't even begin to go there. It's amazing, all of the acknowledgments you have received. So, Dr. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stacey. It's great to be here. You are first guest from Wisconsin, so that is great. So I was wondering if you might share with us how you got the passion for animals buzz and the, the love for community cats. Well, I think the passion for animals, I have to blame my mother. Um, she's always had a very, very, you know, always loved animals, and, and uh, she raised, uh, my father died when I was very young, and she raised three girls on her own, which just was amazing, and she's always loved animals, and so all three of us have a real passion for them. And my interest in community cats really started, um, and this was before the term community cats was used, but it started back in around probably 2001, and this is at a time when, um, you know, 78 to, to 100 million feral or community cats in the United States were, that would be estimate. And then if any of those talk brought into shelters, uh, euthanasia rate was close to 100%. So what had happened, and it was kind of a funny story, is I was at um, one of the local shelters, and a friend of mine who worked there brought out some kittens. And, of course, everybody's oohing and on over the kittens, and she's in pointed out to me that they came from a feral mom. And I said to her, I said, well, what's going to happen to the mom? And he said, at this point, I knew nothing about feral cats. I said, well, she goes, she'll be put down. And I was like, no! That's when I just started feeling that we could, we had a better option for this this subset of really underrepresented cats. And so from that point on, I started working with other people that had a real interest in, in cats. And then when we started thinking about what's the most that we can do for our community, we realized that feral cats, or really community cats now, were being underrepresented as far as better options for their future. And so that's kind of how 
in County Sons of Farrells was born is from that kind of that one experience and expanding out and where we got a, several different volunteers that were interested in this process and then we started the Dane County Sons of Farrells in 2001. Yeah, and reading the bio here in the introduction that you had sent me telling me more about the Dane County Friends of Farrells, it sounded like you had identified a certain area that had quite a few feral cats and you decided to try and do something about that? Right. So what we felt was there were many animals that were being brought to the local shelter that were being considered feral and so they were being put down. So what we started to do is to partner with that shelter that we would take in any cat that they deemed as feral. So that's how it all kind of started. And so we would take them into our, and mostly then it was foster home. And if the cats continue to not welcome human attention, we would find them in the outdoor home with a responsible caregiver. If it turned out that they all of a sudden started liking attention, then we find them in the indoor home, the traditional adoption route. During this process, what we were realizing is that many cats were coming from certain areas. And so what we tried to do was then start a monthly spay-neuter clinic where these animals could be sterilized and then returned. So that's when we first started encompassing the whole idea of trap neuter return, or GNR. And so we started doing it on a monthly basis. Um, been doing it, I think we started probably soon after inception in 2001, but we haven't really been keeping track of it, but the number of cats that we've owned was probably in, in 2007. And so since that time, you know, we've rescued well over 4,500 cats. We've adopted close to 4,300, and approximately a third of those have gone to rural homes. And we've sterilized uh, over you know, 5,700 cats since 2007 when we really started keeping track of everything. And so oftentimes it might be something like a, a community, like a trailer park, and they would keep the cats, but couldn't afford to sterilize them. So we would go and we would help them trap the cats, sterilize them, vaccinate them, and then we do the, the left ear test to identify that they've been sterilized from a distance and then return them to their original site. Is this run all by volunteers? Almost. Almost. Um, we used to until about 2008. It was 100% volunteers. And we have an extremely operational board, meaning that they get involved in the operations. What was so cool is then in about 2008, we were able to hire a part-time veterinarian. And then since then, we've been able to hire veterinary technicians. And then that last summer was we actually hired our first director, who is full-time, and he does a fantastic job, a fantastic job. His name is Colin Stenke, and he just does a wonderful, wonderful job for the organization. So we've been very blessed because we've had so many people that have supported us, not only with their time, which, of course, is so important, but also with their money. And one particular organization called the Burby Walsh Foundation, they have been the ones, the reasons why we were able to actually built our own facility, and have been very supportive the entire time that we've been in operation. So it's excellent that you're able to reach out and get support from other forces, and that's yeah. important. And the, the most important thing that I find that's very hard, which the smaller groups as they're growing, is to be willing to ask for money and for donations right. and for right. help yeah. and help. Yeah. You know, our exactly. smaller groups get so wrapped up in all the stuff that we have to do, and we're not thinking about the fundraising part that we have right. to do to be able to keep our doors open every day or to be able to keep the traps going every day. With an operational board, your board had to go out and pound the pavement and ask for money. Right. You've been, yeah. you've been so blessed. And, Stacey, I'm amazed on the generosity of people. It is so reaffirming 
to have people that are just that have this concern, this interest, this desire to help out the cat. And these are cats that they probably never even see, you know, but they, they understand the mission of the Dane County Friends of Feral and want to support that. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Ready to make a big difference for cats in your community? We've got an exciting opportunity that can jumpstart your efforts. The Community Cats Podcast has launched Community Cats Grants. When you qualify for this innovative program, you'll gain valuable knowledge about how to raise funds for your spay-neuter efforts. Plus, we'll match the funds you raise up to $1,000, doubling your ability to make a difference for cats. Fundraising doesn't have to be scary. We'll be with you every step of the way. Check it out. You can find all of the details on the Community Cats Podcast website, under our education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. Just to clarify, I'm, just, I'm very curious. Your organization sounds very similar to the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society in many ways. And I just want to ask a question. In our early days when we started, we were very precise about really intense management of our colonies. We had volunteers that were helping feeding the colonies and tried to keep good records of what cats were visiting, the various feeding stations, and really helped us to go from having 300 cats in a downtown area to, as of 2008, no cats. When you're talking about barrels in the county, are you monitoring those locations to an intense level, or is it more of a return-to-field kind of mentality? Well, when we do our sterilization, you know, our monthly sterilization clinic, um, that's returned to field, okay? But ours is a little bit different, Stacey, because what our, if we talk, if we look at our source of cats, it's kind of broken into to six different categories. The first one, our adoption returns. We'll immediately take back any animal that has been, or any cat that's been adopted, for whatever reason, we will take them back into to our system. The second, and this is for the order of priority, are, are cats that are deemed feral or fearful that come from the Dane County Humane Society. So these are cats, for whatever reason, cannot be returned to the original site. So it might be like, I'll give you an example. There was a colony of eight cats that had lived at a building in the airport, and the building was going to be torn down. So they couldn't be returned to that site. So we took them in. And then we sterilized them, so we relocated them to another another site with, with responsible caregivers, so a place where that they would be monitored and, and cared for. So we're involved more in the relocation of cats that cannot go back to their original site. And then the third area of source would be other shelters. Again, that are, these are cats that are being fearful, feral or fearful, that cannot be returned to their original location. And the fourth would be public surrender. And um, the fifth would be stray, unmean kittens with the mom, if at all possible. And then the sixth would be public surrender of cats that are deemed friendly. So most of what we do comes from our local humane society. We, we partner with them to take all their cats that they feel are feral, and then we find them a home, whether it be an outdoor home with a responsible caregiver if they truly do not welcome human attention, or if they become friendly and they do with welcome human attention, then we'll find them an indoor home for the traditional adoption role. So you actually, one of your primary jobs is what we would call here in New England, I guess, is what barn cat relocator, because so many cats. I know they don't go always to barns. I mean, we have had, we've had cats mm-hmm. in warehouses and mm-hmm. working cats and those kinds of things. But in New England, we tend to reference it as barn cat relocation. So it sounds like a large percentage of the cats that you have in your care and 
being relocated or placed in that kind of a program. That's correct. And like I said, they, for, for whatever reason, they cannot go back. Because that's always the first thing you want to do is, as you know, to return them to the original site. But these are cats, for whatever reason, cannot be returned. Have you documented at all the success rate of the relocation? As far as the cats that stay there? Yeah. I don't know uh, if, it, if we, we actually had numbers on that, but we kind of from an anecdotal standpoint, we really counsel the people who adopt the cats that are going to be in a rural setting throughout the acclimation period. And we recommend at a minimum that they be confined for two weeks in an area where they're going to be fed, but I prefer to do it actually at least a month. And, and so we really work a lot with counseling the adoptive homes on how to, to help them, help the animals stay. And really it's getting them on a regular schedule where they, they're used to being fed at certain times and in a certain location. And that's a very, very helpful tool on making sure that they stay where they're, where they're brought. Just about a week and a half ago, the Community Cat Podcast Facebook page, we did a um, Facebook Live video of a barn cat relocation training session in uh, Massachusetts, and that is uh, still up on our Facebook page. So if you want to look at the Community Cat Podcast Facebook page, there is uh, two presentations on barn cat relocation by two different organizations. Oh, wonderful. Um, Great resource. I am very interested in finding out more about Fly's Place. Can you describe it to me? Absolutely. That is our first own full-functioning facility. It uh, opened in 2008 because of the generosity of the Boogie Walsh Foundation. And so what we have there is we actually have a surgical suite, which is great, and we have an exam room. We have intake. And these are cats that first come in, and they need to be examined before they're put into the general population. We have something called the well room, and these are cats that have been vaccinated, they've been sterilized, um, and they're waiting for, for adoption. We also have a room where we're dealing with treatment, so we call it the treatment room because they have some medical issues that we're, we're dealing with. And then, of course, there's a, a small office a director has. It was so amazing about this. Stacey, we're, I mean, we're just ecstatic to have this theory. And, of course, we, we keep traps there and things like that. So there's some stories. But because our organization is growing so much, we're bursting at the seams. We're actually at the point now where we're, we're considering of relocating into a bigger area. It's cool that we're, the community is really accepting the Dane County Friends of Feral and what we're doing and looking, really looking to us. I'm going to share with you why we call it Slice Place is that the Burby Walsh Foundation, who were so generous in providing funding for this, one of their cats was named Lux Sylvester. And he was the first cat, I believe, that uh, was the first stray cat. And he was such an impact, he had such an impact on their lives. When we built the, the facility, they asked, could we call it Slice Place? And we're like, absolutely. <laughs> and so what a tribute to this wonderful animal who not only did he make input on his guardians, but now so many people in the Madison, Wisconsin area. In terms of the specific housing for the cats, is it a tableless environment for them, or how do you keep them as comfortable as possible? In the well room, it's a cageless environment. We use some cages as they're sort when we first bring them into the well room so they get acclimated to that area. But once they have, and then it's, then it's a cageless environment. Now, for obviously cats are coming into intake because they have not been physically examined for any medical issues, and they're kept in a separate cage. Then so we can't risk exposing other cats to diseases when they haven't been in And of course, the ones that are in the treatment room are also in cages because they have a medical issue that we're, we're dealing with. And then, oh, in addition, I should mention, Stacey, is we have a, a really 
diverse and extensive uh, foster network. And so these are people that will take in perhaps like feral moms that have kittens. Like last spring, my son and I fostered two feral moms, pretty sure that they're sisters, and one mom has five kittens, the other one has one. They would allow each other to nurse each other's babies, and it was so cute. Mm. And so the, so my son and I were very involved in socializing the kittens. It was a great experience, and it's finding wonderful homes for all six kittens. They lived in their homes because they were all socialized, you know, um, wanted uh, human attention. But the moms continued to be more, much more reserved about human attention. So we found them a wonderful shelter home with a responsible caregiver. So being in Wisconsin, can you tell me a little bit about what you perceive the state of community cats being like in Wisconsin? Well, what's so amazing is that when we first started out in 2001, it was kind of unheard of to help community cats. And again, back then the term was feral. So I love it. I said the whole term of community cats because I think it really embraces what the subset of cats that we're, we're helping. Back then it, there was some resistance and it took a while to create collaborative um, relationships with other rescue organizations. It took a while for acceptance of a trap and return program. But it's something that we would continue to do. And so what happened is that as our organization grew, so did our areas of concentration. So we started out as number one was to rescue and adoption of cats, both feral and friendly, you know, because, again, some of these cats that are deemed feral initially become very friendly on the road, and so we, we want them to go to their home. Then came the sterilization of cats through GNR, trap and return. That was the second one. But now, which is, this is the cool thing, and that's why I wanted to be a part of the podcast, is that we're really doing community outreach. Because we've been so fortunate in Dane County with all the resources we have. There's neighboring uh, communities or, or counties that do not have nearly the resources that we do. So we're really reaching out to them. Like I'll give you an example. Um, just last weekend, we held uh, one of our monthly spay clinics in Green County, which is a neighboring county, at their, their shelter there. And what we offered was for nominal fee, people could bring in their cats to be sterilized and vaccinated and then, then returned. So it's really, really growing. That's the beauty of it. And I think that Dane County, because we've been so fortunate in the resources that we have here and, and the wonderful volunteers, we've really been able to grow outside of our own county. And that's one thing that I find that happens when an organization is really successful sort of in their home territory. Then right. they are able to maybe not replicate everything that they do fully in another area, but yet they are able to provide support services, so like providing, you know, mass style clinics, standing outreach, or having a transport mm-hmm. go into the community. It's all so critical to not be like, okay, job done. We can just sort of stay where we are because it's, there's so much more that we can help with our neighbors. Absolutely, and a perfect example can be something as simple as a presentation. I think it was probably a year and a half ago, I was asked by an individual in Marathon County to come and give a presentation to their city government there because they really wanted to have a TNR program and there was a lot of resistance. I went up there and I gave a presentation and it was available to ask, answer questions. And the reason that I think that presentation had such an impact on that community was because I could talk about an area in Wisconsin that has been very successful in implementing our program and really making an impact on the number of cats that we see. Earlier in the summer, I received an email from the individual that invited me for the original uh, presentation. She said they finally had gotten approval from the city, from the city government, to start implementing the TNR program. And how cool is that? 
That is awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I love being able to help out like that. We've been so blessed here in Dane County. It's wonderful to help out our neighbors. And, you know, with the right synergy and energy, you know, every other county can have that positive energy, you know, for community yeah. tasks. And, you know, just yeah. finding the, the leadership, the people with the passion, they can take it all so far. Nothing special for, of any of us. I mean, we're, we all started as one individual person, and we just, we asked for help, and we brought people together. And all of these people who all have this great passion to help community cats were able to scale up and do a lot for thousands and thousands of cats. So I want to thank you and all your volunteers who are involved with helping the community cats in Dane County. If there are people interested in finding out more about the Dane County Friends of Cells or if they want to ask you any questions, is there a way for folks to reach you? The best way is to go to the Dane County Friends of Farrell's website, and that's danefarrell.org. So Dane is D as in dog, A as in apple, N as in Nancy, E as in Edward, and then Farrell's, and it's all one word, F as in Frank, E as in Edward, R as in Robert, A as in apple, L as in Mary, F as in Sam. Dot org. That, and we just have a, a pretty new website. We upgraded the house from the one we had previously, so that would be the best place to go. Dr. Susan, is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners today? One of, one of the most memorable things happened to me in the summer of 2014, and I want to share this with your listeners because I want people to feel like if you have a desire to work in this area, you can. Back in 2001, when, when we were seeing kind of the sales was just being formed, we kind of joked, and the, the board of directors uh, we were sitting around putting together our bylaws and stuff like that, and we were sitting around Sherbalaz's kitchen table, and I'll never forget this, and we started joking. Wouldn't that be great if we had a waiting list for feral cats? And in 2014, it happened. What had happened is that we had this whirlwind event, adoption event, that was through um, the Maddie's Pet Adoption Day, and, and we were able to find homes for over 153 cats in one weekend. And because of that, we ended up having this waiting list. And I, originally, I, was, I thought it was only three cats. And and then um, uh, uh, the president, Alison O'Hare, pointed out to me, oh, no, Susan, it's not three cats, it's six cats. And I was ready to do cartwheels down the road. I couldn't believe that we actually had a waiting list for feral cats. And that was probably one of the most memorable experiences that I ever had in my whole lifetime. It was something that I never thought was going to be possible, and it happened. And it was actually through using a very traditional adoption-oriented, the, the Maddie's program, I thought my understanding is correct, it, it was almost like it's a big, huge adopt-a-thon weekend, correct. right? That they concentrated on one weekend, and, and essentially you're evading the adoption fee. And the idea, of course, is that by doing that, and, and people still contribute, and they still donate and things like that, but you waive the adoption fee, and then you're able to find homes for more, more animals that way. And so uh, we had this whirlwind event. It was because the Maddie's fund, bless their heart, um, that were supportive of that. But I never thought that this dream of having a waiting list for girl cats would ever happen. And it did. And it did. Well, Dr. Susan, thank you so much for sharing that story. And those kinds of stories, they almost bring tears to my eyes, to be honest, I because... I, still, I, I get kind of choked up every time I tell the story. <laughs> So I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on the show, and uh, I hope you'll be willing to join me again in the future. Anytime. Anytime, Stacey. 
Thanks for listening to the Community Cats podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone.